Hey everyone, Dave and Jeff, special podcast on a Sunday night, and this is one of those podcasts really, really looking forward to. I can't even tell you how much this means to me, Dave, both on a, well, let me just start on a personal level. On a personal level, uh, a guy that it's shocking to me to think that it's been 11 years since we met him, since we worked with him. He is an absolute icon in this business, but even more than that, He's genuinely and sincerely one of our favorite people in the world, and that would be Sam Bass. Hello, Sam. Do I have to speak in a radio voice, (laughs) (laughs) or can I just be the schlub that I've become? I haven't been in front. This is the first time I've been in front of a microphone since uh, December. Wow. Yeah, but you said 11 years since we started working together. Yeah, 07. Yeah, but long before that, I heard you and Dave... Was it seven sixty? Yes, been all over. Yeah, uh, yeah, because you guys would last maybe six months. Two years. <laughs> we were there for longer than that. Oh, yeah. yeah, for four years. But I, the first time I heard you guys, I thought these guys are funny. Nice, that's cool. They know their sports. They bring in pop culture. Yep, this is cool stuff. And then, as it turned out, we ended up working together for uh, CBS Radio. You were yep. on Free FM. And yep. Naturally, I was on Kixie, and uh, yeah. We loved that job. We, we honestly, it was that one was of our fun. favorite things to do. It was the only live local content show on that yep. station. We had, you know, what, Stern and then Lycus, you guys. Yeah. And we'd occasionally meet each other in the hallway. Yeah. And just, we realized, hey, we could be friends. Yeah. Yes. Because I, 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 I like you guys on the radio. I like you guys in the hallway. That yeah, meant a lot. pretty good. Sam, take us back, because... I got here in 81. I was a kid when I got here. In in radio, and we'll talk a lot about it, the nice thing about this podcast is freeform. But at that time, sadly, so much different than today, there were were icons that were on the air here. And I think, uh, well, your first year, did you start at Kixie in 1980? I started at Kixie in 1978. 78. I actually worked at Kixie when it was owned by a guy up in Seattle. One guy. Wally Nelskog. The late 70s, these were the days when individuals could own radio stations. Yeah. And Wally Nelskog owned it, and I introduced myself. I said, hi, I'm Sam Bass. This is 1977. Okay. I said, hi, I'm Sam Bass. And he said, no, you're not. You're Alan Jones. (laughs) Alan Jones, back in these days, I mean, picture him. He had a, yeah. a shock of white hair, uh, plaid pants, yeah. white patent leather loafers. I yeah. mean, that was the look back then. Herb Tarlick. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I lasted for about uh, six months, and I had enough at San Diego. I wasn't making any money out here. You couldn't make money in San yeah. Diego. Oh, we're paying you in sunshine dollars. <laughs> well, you can take your sunshine dollars yeah. and shove them where the sun don't shine. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up back east, but I came back in 78 and did the first show on Kixie. What had Kixie been before you got here? Beautiful music. Okay. Or as I called it, ugly music, because when I was Alan Jones, <laughs> we were playing, and every now and then I'd get a Johnny Mathis song. All right, yes. <laughs> we're rocking now. But uh, anyway. You know, we love radio stories. Actually, I want to go back even further. At what point did you decide to say, you know what, radio is a career that I want to pursue? How old were you? I mean, when I was a kid, I can't imagine thinking one day I'd be on the radio. Well, I wanted to be on radio even before I could talk. 
Really? Here's my story. I, uh, after World War II, my, you know, my parents started trying to get busy and have a kid. I didn't come along until 48. Okay. And uh, my dad was working one of these schools that you, when you got out of the service. Sure. Trade school. Yeah. My mom was a full-time nurse, and I was being raised by my grandparents. They came from Holland, and my mom's family. And they had uh, my mom's grandparents. They moved over to the States after the war. And the great-grandparents didn't speak a word of English. My grandparents were bilingual. I'm just a, a blob that can't say anything. <laughs> but in my grandma's kitchen, there was this box. And out of it came voices, no, yeah. music. And even the Dutch people were drawn to it. And I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to be in there. I wanted my voice to be. So I wanted to do radio basically my entire life. Wow. And I, I you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the thing about it, Sam, is for you, because you're an East Coast guy in New York, who were the guys growing up that you heard that you said, who were you most inspired by? Nobody. Really? I, I, I didn't start hearing, well, there was boom, boom. Bro. Station out of Buffalo, uh, W, oh, God, I can't even think of it now. It's a big AM station out of Buffalo. Okay. There was a guy that worked late at night. He didn't have the typical disc jockey voice. His yeah. name was P.J. Petrosky. <laughs> Jack Armstrong worked there, too. Yeah. Remember Jack Armstrong and the Gorilla? Yeah. Well, Armstrong worked up at that station in Buffalo before he got the Gorilla. It was just Jack Armstrong. Big <laughs> voice. But P.J. Petrosky, nothing for a voice. But he would talk about things that happened to him during the day. Real life. Like uh, going to the laundromat. And I loved it. People yeah. telling real life yeah. stories. Good luck trying that today. Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> yeah. They don't want any personality. No. You know, hype the $10,000 contest that's yeah. coming up next hour, and that's, you know. And get out. Yeah. Yeah, in that's the hard thing. In and out. So, Sam, when you get here in 78, who were the guys? I would imagine Shotgun was here. Shotgun was here. And Hudson and Bauer were probably here. Who were the other guys that were. Uh, the voices at that time. Who were you trying to... Uh, who was kind of the, the top of the mountain at that time? Well, um, when I was working up in outside of L.A., in my first job in Southern California, what happened was I ended up in Miami. Okay. I fed up with the Northeast. I went to college in Boston. Uh, spent most of my life in upstate New York and Boston, and I, I had to get out. So I had two friends down, down in Florida. One in St. Pete, one in uh, Miami. And I uh, got a job in Miami. Met a guy in Miami who thought I had some potential. So he said, hey, a partner of mine, we're buying a country station outside of Los Angeles. How would you like to come? I thought, wow, I've only been doing Miami radio. And it was one of these beautiful music stations. Yep. You know, Montavani and the Thousand and One Strings <laughs> yeah. to the Beatles. <laughs> hey, we had like a handful of listeners at that station. WOCN. Wow. On Biscayne Bay. Whoa. Nice. I, nice studio. Oh, yeah. High rise. The whole oh, nice. And I'd crack the mic every 15 minutes and say things like, as beautiful as the swaying palms on Biscayne Bay. And then I'd push a button and you'd hear the waves and the seagulls. <laughs> this is the sound of ocean. 
And every now and then I get a phone call from usually some old Jewish lady in you know, Miami Beach. I love the sounds of your... And then she'd fall asleep. Yeah. I was famous on subway. They loved elevator. you. Oh, yeah, they, they did. But I, the guy that I met, he said, it's going to be a country station. You know country music? I'm thinking, I'm from New York. Yeah. yeah. But I started listening to the country station in Miami, and I liked it. Because those guys could play the guitar. I mean, oh, yeah. you know. And he said, we're all going to have cowboy names. So what do you want to call you? I was using my real name in Miami. Okay. Alan Graff. Okay. Try saying that. The, the, the all-time worst radio name you can yeah. come up with. Everybody, is, that, is your last name Grass or Glass? Or, eh. So um, <laughs> I thought for about maybe a minute, I said, I'll be Sam Bass. Where'd it come from? I saw a movie with my grandpa once when I was little. Calamity Jane and Sam Bass. No kidding. Yvonne DiCarlo and Howard Duff. Howard Duff. Howard Duff. Nice. That's cool. uh, And it's a great radio name. Love it. Easy to say, Sam Bass. But the people that I really liked locally when I came out here in 78. Yeah. uh, Berger and Prescott. They were on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were. They ended up uh, moving. They, they they didn't. They weren't doing morning drive on KGB at the time. Yep. No. But they ended up doing it. There, sure. There was the News Brothers. We know all those guys. Uh, Jim McGinnis, who I used yep. to listen to, and uh, but while I was working up in at the country station, one of the guys there said, "You ought to listen to a guy named Jimmy Rabbit." Jimmy Rabbit was. Uh, he used to do like six to ten. Okay. Uh, he was on K-Rock, and then he moved over to KMET. Okay. He's a Texas boy. Sure. Big voice, funny as hell. Yeah. And the guy told me, he said, you should listen to him, because I hear some of him and you. So that was probably the one hero, guy that I looked up no to. No kidding. Oh Jimmy God. Rabbit. I wanted to be Jimmy Rabbit. Wow. And then I figured, well, I can't be Jimmy Rabbit. I better figure out. Yeah, I, I better be Sam. Bass. But goddamn, thirty-five yeah. years later, Jimmy Rabbit's like seriously. I was Jimmy <laughs> Rabbit. You go. I was Sam Bass. Yeah, well, you know, Sam Bass and seven bucks gets you a Starbucks. <laughs> you know, people say, "How do you like retirement?" I say, "How do you like fixed income?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me ask you about how radio has changed because when Jeff and I first started, and we look back at it, we go, "Man." We uh, kind of were pretty lucky. We were on a big-time station at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people told us, you know, said, you don't understand, this doesn't happen in any business, that in a major market, that guys in their 20s are on a, on a station like KFMB. But we had such a chip on our shoulder. We hated everybody. You know, we, <laughs> you walk in the room and look at us wrong, we're going to knock you out. We didn't like anybody, didn't give anybody a chance. Did you get along with guys on, on other stations, or were there guys you didn't like also? I... That's why I have one of the reputations of being a nice guy. I yeah. get along with everybody. You do, sure. Everybody, including, and I shouldn't even say that because it sounds like it's a slight, but everybody at the radio station is important. Mm-hmm. The receptionist all the way yep. up to the general manager. You don't want to make an enemy in your house because everybody else at all the other radio stations wants to kill you. You don't want anybody trying to cut you off at the, uh, at the knees yeah. where you work. So I get along with everybody. Yeah. And I can't think of maybe you know, the 40 years I was at Kixie, a handful of people that I didn't really care too much for eventually got weeded out. But Sam, when you got there in 78, I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible to think 40 years, really, that you're there. 
How long did you think? If, if Dave and I are sitting with you in 78, when you, when you come to town, did you, and, and let's just say, think about radio life. Did you think you were going to be there for three years? Or did you look at this and say, man, this could be some place that, that the chips could fall right and, and I'll be here in eternity in radio. I could be here five years. How long did you think you were going to be there? Well, I once asked a guy, he was, uh, Mort Sidley was his name. And uh, our general manager at the time, this is back in like 1978, uh, he said, you know, you ought to talk to Mort Sidley. Mm. He knows everything. And Mort's pretty much invented radio sales as we've known it from the 50s on up to the present. And by the time I met Mort, and he had a cup, Patty Sidley and... Uh, and he had a son. That Tom? Tom? Tom Sidley. Yeah. All right. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's our guy. By the time I met poor Mort, he had like cancer of the jaw. He oh, had my half goodness. his jaw was missing. This old man would drool constantly coming out of his mouth. But yet I would get to the station an hour early every day just so I could pick his brain. Nice. And, um, and he said, if you want to have staying power in radio, forget the ratings. They'll come and they'll go. Don't mm. live by the ratings. Take care of the people in sales. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of the people in sales. great advice. Because, you know, if you take care of them, they'll take care of you. You know, uh, go out of your way to give them what they want, usually spec spots. Spec spot for people who don't, yeah. don't know. If you want to, let's say, Joe's car wash. Yeah. You're trying to get Joe's car wash to come on the air to advertise. So we need a spec spot for Joe's car wash, so I'll make something up. Sure. 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and if they sell it, fine. I go out of my way to try to make those people happy. You've always had that reputation, which I think, as your friend, I appreciate so much, that I feel like you have always had a reputation of preparation, always going in, taking it serious. Never taken a day off, Sam. And I, I appreciate that so much because it, it felt like it raised the game for everybody around you. Where did that come from? And and what is it in you that always said, I mean, I think when we worked together, you would be on the air at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. But I think you were usually up at, at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock. 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Prepping for your show yeah. and getting your getting your bits ready and and not even bits, but just getting your breaks ready, your spots ready. That that's an incredible dedication to the business 30, 30 years in. Yeah. I love that. Well, for years I didn't have to do that much show prep because for years I was in my thirties and then forties. I was our target audience. Mm-hmm. Our target target audience has always been adults, mid thirties to mid forties. Namely, women. Yeah. Kixie's a huge on women, man. It's okay. I've been with Kixie for so many years, I'm surprised I don't have periods and breaths. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, um, and I would just talk about my life. And yeah. the audience could relate to it. And one of the younger people that worked at our sister station, 1037 Sophie or mm-hmm. whatever, I can't remember anymore, Dorothy Tran. Oh, sure. Yeah. She said, well, well, Sam, you can still do that. Why do you have to do research? Talk about your life. Yeah. I said, listen, Dorothy, my target audience is a woman in her mid-40s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell her about my life. 
I can just imagine. Well, last night I had a really great bowel movement, <laughs> and I watched a documentary on how tractors are made. That's my life now. <laughs> so I got to figure out what is my audience listening to. Yeah. What are they into? You know, it's, it, it became a chore. When you look at radio now, and I remember when J-Core came in, and which oh. turned into Clear Channel, which yes. is now iHeart, a lot of people who are lifers in radio were saying, this is the worst thing to happen to us because the individuals that own radio stations, if you wanted to jump station to station, it made it easier to stay in the business. But when this big group comes in and out owns almost every station in every market, if you're out there, then you're out everywhere. And they kind of have you not only by an employment but if you are employed by them they can control how much money you make as well and really kind of hold you down either take the job or don't oh yeah it was it was, it was basically the beginning of the end mm-hmm. of the air personality and when you think about the type of revenue radio is making now i i knew the broadcasting was in trouble years ago when i used to work with uh, susan taylor Oh, oh sure. Sorry for knocking this thing. That's, right. yeah, That's right. me making sounds. Uh, Susan Taylor, we co emceed the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer Walk every October in Balboa Park. Mm-hmm. And Susan asked me, and she's now working for, I think, uh, Scripps Hospital. Yeah. She's the spokesperson. She said, So, Sam, how's everything in radio? And like, hey, everything's good. How's things in television? She said, Not so good. She said, the only people that watch the news nowadays are people like 40 on up or 50 mm-hmm. on up. And I thought of that. And she said the, the money's not where it used to be. I mean, there used to be people making half a million dollars oh, yeah. a year. Not anymore. No. <laughs> not anymore. No. In those huge, big morning show salaries yeah. and radio, they're going away. Because we're not making any money. Interesting. I mean, again, it's for a lot of people who have never been in the business, but the people always say to us, they go, wait a second, I hear what Jeff and Jer make, what Dave Shelley and Chainsaw make, this and that. And they always assume, you're in radio, what's the most you and Jeff ever made? And we're like, you know, we never hit that point. We just, we unfortunately, we didn't. We love the job, though. I mean, there's nothing else we'd rather do to get behind a microphone and hang out with your best friend every day. But we we never had had that opportunity as far as the, the, you know, the big time money like that either. And that's just San Diego. I mean, you want to talk about New York, L.A., Chicago, you're talking millions and millions of dollars. Mm, For a few. Yeah. Yeah. But even that's changing now. And you guys have the talent to be in New York or Chicago or any of those places. But, you know, San Diego's a hard place to leave. Yeah, it really is. It's nice. Sam, our our friend, our our mutual friend, I I believe you know him. At least you and I have spoken about him. Uh, Darren Smith from 1090. Ah, Darren, yeah. Said some... Hold on. Did I lose No, 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 no. No. I don't know why that happened, but hold on. Uh, our buddy Darren Smith at 1090 said something to me a couple of weeks ago, and I, I loved it. We were talking about radio and the energy of being on the air and, and being talked to by program directors that have never done it and, and not trying to take the baseball, you've never played the game mentality. But Darren and I were talking about the the excitement of live radio, and he he boiled it down to here. He said it's the energy, and I'm showing Sam, my thumb is turned sideways, and it's that energy when you're getting ready to turn the button on, when you're ready to turn that red button on. And Darren said, we all do the same thing. We all go, <clears throat> we turn our head away from the mic, and then it's the energy of firing that button and going live. Is there anything in life, I'm sure race car driver, anybody else, but for you, did you have that right till December, that energy, that, that adrenaline of getting ready to fire the on button? Pretty much right up until December. 
Yeah. It started going away when I started showing up for work under the influence of alcohol. Well, we will get into this because it's an incredible story. Well, I'll tell you, though, that's one of the reasons why I never liked voice tracking, where you record and they play it back later. There's nothing that can compare to the rush of live. Live radio. Live radio, man. People say, has radio changed a lot? Well, I, I suppose on the corporate business end, but... As far as being an announcer, a mm-hmm. jock, an air personality, I don't think things have changed since the 1940s. Once you push that button, turn on your microphone, you better have something to say. Yeah. Or else you're not going to have that opportunity too much longer. Uh, Sam mentioned something, and, and it's, it's the benefit of this podcast. Sam, I, I was having this conversation with you the other night. It was things that Dave and I could not talk about in terrestrial radio when we were talking about Charger Stadium or contract issues with Corey Legit or, or all these things and, and nothing against Legit, who's a good dude. But in this podcast, what we've done in 2018, 2017 was a lot of sports stuff and radio stories. 2018, things changed for me and Dave on, on the 1st of January. On the 1st of January, I found out I was getting a divorce. Dave's father... Uh, committed suicide yeah. uh dave and i have been because i believe it's been therapeutic for both of us very open on this podcast i have been about uh dealing with depression dealing about things that i've gone through in the last couple of months uh, i talked about it. man if you listen to the show last monday night uh, it's a very angry show from mine because i have been prescribed to lexapro i've never been on a prescription medicine in my life uh, Monday, my car was getting fixed and it was out. And I hate the way I sound on that Monday show, but we will never pull it down because it shows the difference. One of the reasons why I wanted you here was because you and I uh, have spoken a lot in the last couple of months as something was going on in your own life. And I said, Sam, if you would be willing to come into the podcast, um, I have heard from so many people. It has been so wonderful for me. A friend of mine said to me the other day, I said, God, I, I, why would you talk about depression or divorce? Why would Dave talk about it? Why would you talk about the Lexapro? I said, man, I can't imagine not talking about it because the bond that I feel that Dave feels with this audience is stronger than I've ever had in anything I've done professionally in 26 years in this industry. But you have been fighting your own battle, and I'm thrilled to say tonight you're winning it, and tomorrow you're going to win, and the day after that, you mentioned a battle with alcohol. Oh, yeah. How long has this battle been going on? See, how old am I now? Um, You're 42. Yeah, no, no. (laughs) I'll be 70 in May. I've been an alcoholic all my life. It's true. And it's like, I remember when I was just a little kid Mm -hmm. in upstate New York. We were living in the flat up on the second floor. The lady who owned the house was a neat little old lady. She became my godmother. Her name was Mrs. Clemente. She was from Sicily. She was about four foot seven, always always dressed in black. She's a widow. And she would make the most incredible smelling pastas, sauces, Mm -hmm. and everything. And somehow I kind of wormed my way into her life. You know, this little blonde-haired German kid, you know, Mm -hmm. she kind of, oh, bambino, la, la, la. (laughs) And she also made her own homemade wine. She had big Concord grapes outside. And whenever... When I was teething, she would take some of her homemade wine and rub it on my gums. 
oh, I like the way that tasted. Yeah. yeah. I remember once telling my mom, oh, my gums don't feel good, Mom. I'm going to go down and see Mrs. Clemente. <laughs> she said, oh, no, <laughs> you're not. Yeah, you're not. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the drinking, it's always been an issue. I used to be able to hide it fairly well. A lot of people didn't even know I had a drinking problem. I, my wife, my third wife, I might add, and th that's going to be over in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be going on my fourth. Wow, <laughs> right? yeah. So alcohol has uh, never been a friend. Not really because it's never made me a better person. It's <laughs> just there. And um, Did the level change, Sam? Did it start oh. <laughs> with something easier and get harder? Or it was always... What was the drink of choice? Tequila. Really? Well, um, up until tequila in 1984, I mean, we, Kixi has this squeaky clean mm -hmm. image, but hey, we're all human beings. And with me, my priorities were always sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And oh, you know, if I have time, radio. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> once our, my third child came along, suddenly I got really serious. But in 1984, I gave up everything. I was doing cocaine, I was drinking vodka, smoking cigarettes, uh, doing weed. And for some reason, and the, I just, I, like I had a dream. And in the dream, the drugs were killing me. I, I got up in the middle of the night and I flushed about $500 worth of coke down the toilet. Wow. Took a pack of Marlboros and brought them into work and gave them to a guy that was smoking. And I just, I just quit everything in 1984. And in 1986, I think God said, hey, good job, buddy. We're going to give you a kid. And oh, my wow. wife got pregnant. And, uh, you know, I'd been clean for two years. So, you know, she got, she got the good stuff. You know? Good. <laughs> Not sperm wandering around <laughs> <laughs> aimlessly, but, you know. And then about six years later, we're up in Monterey having a vacation. My wife says, oh, go ahead. You can have a drink of wine. Go ahead, have, have, have some wine. Uh, a week later, I'm drinking more wine than I was before I started quitting back in 85. That's the way it works. Yeah. I quit again when I had cancer in 1997. I figured, hey, if it's not going to help me beat the cancer, I don't need it. So I just walked away from, from the booze. And it was not a problem. And uh, by the way, I, you know, I'm, I've, I've, I've been... I've gone through what you're going through. Yeah. And I've had cancer. I, was that what your dad was going my, my dad, he did. He had brain cancer. Okay. So I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Suicide's a tough one. But I can understand what he was going through. And it's, there have been times, you know, when I was, if I had to go through radiation treatment again, I wouldn't. Yeah. The, the, the cure was worse than the cancer. <laughs> and it was, it was tough. But the, um, the drinking, the tequila, it started getting really serious uh, about uh, maybe four years ago, five years ago. I'd go, I was going through a bottle every day and a half. How big a bottle, Sam? About a quart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, af I'm afraid that uh, I'm sure that BevMo's profits have been going down. <laughs> I'm yeah. spending 80 no. bucks a week at that place. And when I... When they uh, kind of moved me to weekends, and <laughs> we've all had this conversation. I know you guys have. Uh, program director says, "Hey, uh, let's go downstairs. GM wants to talk to you." Yeah. And our GM put his hand on my my knee and he said, 
This is the conversation I never wanted to have. And I thought, oh, God, here it comes. Mm-hmm. He said, but Sam, we still want you to be part of the family. And I've heard this mm-hmm. before, you know. You're our ambassador. How about working weekends, Saturday and Sunday, access to the studios, everything you need. So anyway, I figured, why not? But that gave me Monday through Friday with nothing to do. Okay. Hmm, what am I going to do? Well, yeah. I started drinking more. Got to the point where I'd be getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd have my first shot. By the time I went down to uh, have breakfast, I was already half in the bag. I wouldn't even be here if I hadn't quit drinking because I'd be too out of it to get in the car. I mean, it really feels good being sober, but I was so far gone that... Um, so I was diagnosed a couple of years ago with vertigo. Okay. Because that's probably why I'm constantly dizzy and throwing up. No. I'm a, I'm a freaking drunk. That's why I'm dizzy and throwing up all the time. And it got to the point where I was beginning to fall, like cuts. and I went down 12, 12 steps. I went out. <laughs> 12 Isn't steps. that ironic? No, yeah. no yeah. pun intended. Uh, at the house in Poway, I, I got to the top of the stairs. I got dizzy, and I went all the way down on my back, you know. Looking up, and I got a couple of bruised ribs, but it's amazing. I, I survived that. But then I got to the point where I couldn't even use my right leg. I couldn't get on a bed. That was making no sense. And um, my, uh, my girlfriend, who, you know, ended up marrying her because, do I want to? <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> she wants to. She's put up with me for a long yeah. time, so I figured, hey, if this is what she wants. And... Um, they took me to the it was a rehab place yeah. in Rancho Bernardo and I fell and couldn't I couldn't get up so they said uh uh-uh, uh we can't be responsible for this guy next thing I know I'm in an ambulance heading to uh, Palomar Palmerado and I was there for almost four weeks you know around the clock and you know you being poked and prodded in the mm-hmm. middle of the night I mean, have you ever spent any time in no, a hospital yeah. you can't sleep in a hospital no. And um, like I said, it, it was all a blur. I and this not, is just same for people that may think this was four or five years ago. This is just how long ago? I went in on January fifteenth. Okay. And I got out of every. I finally went back home oh, first week in in uh, March. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, and it's been almost three months since I've had a drink. You know, a couple of questions for you, because, you know, Jeff and I got into radio in the early 90s, but it seemed like almost everybody we knew that was in radio in the 80s, everybody seemed like they were doing cocaine. Everybody has a cocaine story in radio in San Diego in the 80s. It, <laughs> was was that one of those where you got into it from somebody in radio, or, or you knew about it before, you had a connection before? First time I tried cocaine was um, when I was uh, going to school in New York City, mm. and um one of my friends knew a friend who knew people that were, I mean, people that were filmmakers, and it, it was a really nice apartment in Greenwich Village, and the guy pulls out this Coke. And I tried it, and to be honest with you, eh, you know, yeah. I'd rather drink. Yeah. Hey, give me a cold 45, come on. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. men drink. I was like, what, a freshman? I didn't know anything. But I got into it uh, pretty seriously when I came to San Diego, one of the people that worked at our station mm. was the main dealer for everybody in town that was on radio and television. Wow. I remember once I uh, 
purchased my little envelope with my hundred, two hundred dollars worth of coke, and as I'm leaving his house, in comes the the anchor man from one of the top TV stations. Oh my stations. gosh! Yeah. Hey, Jay, how you doing? <laughs> Pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, you know that little thing looks like a punching bag in the back. Of the yeah. Head, like uvula or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or is that part of the female anatomy? <laughs> anyway, it's that thing in the back yeah. of your throat. One day, I'd done so much coke the day before. I woke up in the morning to get ready for my show. I couldn't swallow. I thought, what, what the hell's going on? It turned out my uvula was so in, inflamed and wow. enlarged from doing all the coke the night before. That's what the problem was. So what did I do? Hey, later that morning, I went out and scored more coke. <laughs> it, it, it really grabs you. you yeah. Know? It, 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 but... I had no problem walking away from it. Alcohol was the one thing I couldn't walk away so from. So as soon as you woke up, I'm sorry, Jeff, as soon yeah. as you woke up at 3 in the morning, because for us, we, we saw you every day. I'm oh, like, yeah. well, how did you have time to drink? Because you were always working. But as soon as, like, and I have friends like this too, especially guys who live in the South, they'll keep a bottle of wild turkey on the nightstand before they even open their eyes and they turn that alarm off. They're, they're, it's in the mouth. I mean, oh, yeah. they're... They're throwing it down, but it was like that for you. You could put tequila in your mouth that early in the morning. No, I didn't start doing that until after I was moved, okay. long, long after you guys had left. I, I was taking it pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. Radio, that is. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't even, and, and, and back then, I wasn't really, when you guys were working there, I mm -hmm. don't think I was doing the tequila. I was drinking a lot of wine. I go to the Bernardo Winery, which was yeah. in walking distance of where I lived, and I would, uh, I would drink on the weekends, mm -hmm. not during the week, you know, what's that all about? And I, I quit smoking weed mm, in 1984, but the throat cancer and the radiation treatments yeah. really messed me up. I went from 195 down to 140. Wow. I'm up to 175 now. I couldn't eat, didn't want to do anything. And a buddy of mine, who I won't mention his name, but uh, I met him in La Jolla one night for dinner. Mm -hmm. Basically, he was going to eat, and I was going to watch because I couldn't swallow. He said, man, I had a rough day, but a buddy of mine gave me one of these. Let's take a walk around the block. He, it was a joint. And the uh, first time I'd smoked in years. Yeah. And sure enough, little by little, the pain in my jaw started going away, and my saliva started flowing, and I had a steak, and it tasted good. Wow. And I said to myself, and I wasn't, and first of all, weed had gotten a lot better mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> by 1998. Yeah. And I never abused it. I would use it. I would take a couple of puffs just before it was time to eat. And that was it. You yeah. Know? Uh, I mean, Sam, it was medicinal for you. Yeah. Well, it, it, it is medicinal. Yeah. Except, you know, people have a tendency to, even alcohol is medicinal. But I abused it. Mm. I overdid it, and uh, you know it's like God gives you this great gift, and you basically flip God the bird. You know, yeah. hey, thanks God, I'm going to really mess up on this stuff. And um, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't miss it. People yeah, say, good. Are you going to AA meetings? And I think, well, what the heck do I want to hang around with a bunch of drunks telling dr drunk yeah. stories? But um, if I ever feel the need. I will go. I mean, I've got nothing to go. I'm thinking of going to AA meetings anyway, just for research, because I feel like I gave away so much of my life to that bottle. I mm -hmm. want to get something back. 
and I would like to uh, maybe do more public speaking because I do a lot of Be that. great. Fantastic. And a lot of people are always saying, you should write a book. you got a story. But I thought I could never write a book unless I have a happy ending. Yeah. And as long as I'm drinking, there is no happy ending here. You know, it's like, yeah, I survived cancer. I survived all these years in radio, one station. I'm a mm -hmm. survivor. I always said, no, I'm not really, man, because alcohol has got me by the balls. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, and, and now, and it's not like I beat it. You know, it, it's there. If I had a drink today. Yeah, you're winning today. If I had a drink today, I'd be dead by May because I'd go back. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons, I don't need to go to an AA meeting. All I have to think about is what it was like being in that hospital. Yeah. Especially when I was in that long-term care nursing facility outside of downtown. Where I, my, my roommate, he was a, God love him, man. I felt bad for him. But he had bags. One was a, like, a stoma bag for number two, and the other was a urine bag. This guy was constantly pulling them off. Oh, boy. Yeah. Screaming for the nurses and. Boy, do I want to go back to that? No. No, thank you. It's funny because Sam and I had a conversation right before you went in. And and I don't know how, how much you remember of it. I don't I, remember anything. I remember it very vividly. Really? I remember it very vividly because I was incredibly scared for you. And, I, and you said very candidly to me on that night, I was driving here. And you said, if I don't do this... I will be dead very quick. And the only thing, we're not going to rehash the whole thing. It's between you and me, and I'll tell you over lunch one day. But it, it meant a lot to me that you would share that with me, and I could just say, we got your back. Go. We would check in with your girlfriend, and we would say all those things. And that's why it is so great to have you here, because I am telling you, Sam, there is somebody who is going to listen to this that is in that stage where you were in December, that knows you, that has been a fan of yours, that feels like they know you, and they are going to say, my God, listen to how strong he sounds tonight, how great he sounds. I want to ask you this, though. One of the things that, that happens in this industry is we talked about the adrenaline of turning the mic on, but unlike somebody who, who may... Do, do different lines of work. I, I don't, I don't want to say a particular line because it feels like I'm belittling them, and I'm not. Dave and I always felt like there was a constant, like our head was always on the, the guillotine, and the guillotine, however you want to say it. And, and it, it leads to a different kind of tension. You, you never turn it off when you are on. I would think that if I had a conversation with 15 or 20 people in this industry locally, AM and FM, and said, who was the one guy that you would listen to who say, that guy is safe, he's got a lifetime contract, I believe your name would come up a lot. <laughs> Did you deal with that? And, and um, believe me, you don't need excuses, and I'm not making excuses for you. But I'd be curious to feel like, Dave, I'm sure Dave would agree with me, I would feel like you were Kixie, you were iconic, and you could be there. Did you feel that same kind of pressure that so many of us felt like that, hey, this game is changing, and there's somebody coming, and this might be my last show? And did you feel that same pressure, and do you think it played any role, 2%, 98% role in, in the battle that you're fighting? 
Well, I'll tell you what, every day I went to work, I thought this could be my last show. No Even kidding. when people tell me, man, you're, you're there forever. When did yeah. that start? Just curious. When we were owned by one individual, John Parker, who's still with us, and I'm going to see him later this week. He made all his money in advertising up in Los Angeles. Okay. He was the guy that landed the first Dotson account. Oh, wow. John Parker came up with the expression, Dotson saves, you know, the Dotson Z car. Mm -hmm. Well, the Japanese gentleman who was telling John, I want to, we want to market this sports car. In Japan, we call it the fair lady. The fair lady. That's because, you know, the Japanese mind is different than ours, and they were trying to market this to young Japanese guys. Well, in Japan, the most popular musical at the time was My Fair Lady. Oh, wow. So it made sense to the Japanese. Let's call it The Fair Lady. And John Parker tells the guy, no red-blooded American macho guy is going to drive a car called The Fair Lady. <laughs> yeah. He said, let's just call it The Z Car. And that's how that came about. Wow. But Parker made a fortune, bought a station in San Diego, and he and I became very close. And as long as John had that station, I felt my job is safe. Mm -hmm. And then John sold the station to what eventually became CBS. And then I realized, uh, not so safe anymore. I'm going to have to join the real world of radio. Uh, contracts, ratings, all that stuff. And... Uh, I no longer had Uncle John to take care of me. I had to take care of myself. And that's one of the reasons why I figure, okay, I might not be better than my competition, but I'm going to work harder than them. Did you believe it when people told you how much they liked you uh, on the air? Like if somebody stopped you or met you at an appearance and complimented you, were you able to accept the compliment or was it a challenge? You know what I mean? You follow I, me on that? I always felt humbled by it. Yeah. You know, and I always felt grateful because it was something that I loved doing. And the fact that people would, uh, you know, would, 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 would acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the word I'm like. It's, it's been a long time since I've talked. You're good. <laughs> You're dynamite. And I'm pretty much, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> as I lie on the couch watching daytime TV. But um, it, it was a humbling experience. And yeah. towards the end, I was... Uh, we have contests. I've got to take the uh, winner's information. And quite often, the winners would be in their 30s. Yeah. Say, oh, I've been listening to you since I was a little kid. My mom made me listen to the station while she was driving me to school. I said, I still like listening. You know, and you get a compliment from a young person. You're thinking, eh, it feels good. 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 It feels good. You know, it's it's one of those things before we even met you. I used to say to Jeff all the time, because you're trying to figure out what is successful in radio. I said, I don't know why more stations don't try and steal the 96.5 format because <laughs> it's not offensive. You can play it anywhere. You go to the dentist office, you're on there. You know, you go into a store, you're on there. Your your show was always on wherever you go, just different businesses, because whoever walked into that business wasn't going to be offended by anything you said or the type of music that was played. It just seemed like an easy way to get good numbers and to continue to be successful over and over again. I didn't understand why you didn't have more competition than than basically what 96.5 had. Well, a lot of people tried copying yeah. what Kixie was doing, but they couldn't because we were the first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I won't name any stations, but there were, we, we even have a station now, the, the station that I currently listen to, because it reminds me of kind of what we used to sound like. But... Uh, yeah, you know, uh, plagiarism is a good form of, uh, is a nice compliment. But if you're the first one to do it, 
nobody stands a chance. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna tell radio stories because Sam's part of one of the craziest <laughs> stories that has happened in San Diego. Everybody oh, knows it. I know which one you're gonna talk about. But uh, but I don't know if they know Sam's part of it. But I <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to skip by this part because I think it's important. You talked about that you had the weekdays off in the battle that that you were fighting with right, drinking. Right. Did it did it impact the weekend shift? Was there ever a time at Kixie? Did you sneak airport size? You know the airplane oh, size bottle in. Oh yeah. Were you I, drinking on the air? Uh, I would wait till my last hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, and then I would uh, take a couple of pops. I remember one day during the week. My program director called me up. He said, hey, come on into my office tomorrow. I want to have you listen to something. He played back a break I had done Mm -hmm. that previous weekend. He said, what do you think of this? And I listened to it. I thought, oh, Jesus. Wow. I said, "Uh, I wasn't feeling too good. My vertigo was kicking in. And he just looked at me. He said, try to, you know, let's not let that happen again. And I really... Wow, this is bad. The drinking has brought me to this. That I'm. St- That's one of the reasons why I quit. I didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. I went into his office and I said, you know, I've got some personal things I need to deal with, and I think it's time for me to walk away from radio. Yeah. And he said, Are you sure? I mean, I said, I've got to do it because I didn't want, you know, I let him down. I let my CBS co-workers down. You know, imagine you picking somebody up at the airport. Hey, you want to hear the station I work at? And you got some fool slurring his words. I didn't want to be that fool. I figured, I, I, I know I got a problem. I got to deal with it. I don't want it to tarnish the reputation I've spent 40 years trying yeah, to build. Yeah. So I, uh, I, and I always tell people, I, I don't take myself seriously. But I took my job seriously. Absolutely. I took radio very seriously. And then when it got to the point where I wasn't taking radio as serious as I should, I need to walk away. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Because that's why you, you just answered my follow-up. Was we talked about the fact that you would be up at 3 in the morning prepping for your show. And knowing you like I do and caring about you like I do, I, I can't imagine what that had to be like. To sit in here and air check. And, and you know what? Kudos to the PD. Kudos. No, I'll, I'll oh, say yeah. this. I don't know him. But kudos to the PD for just respecting you and saying, let's get this done. Because, Sam, I, I think, candidly, they probably could have let you go. Oh, right? easily. Easily. Yeah. And they, they could have let me go when they said, hey, this is a conversation we never wanted to have. Because they've had those conversations with all the think, people that you know. Do you think they were, do you think they knew in their mind? Do you think they knew at that time that that alcohol was an issue? Um, I, yeah, there was one time. I'd uh, come off of a week vacation, but I had to make an appearance on Saturday. Okay. It was uh, one of the charity things sure. to do. And I had a couple of snorts before we got there, and uh, the uh, PD called me into his office that morning. He said, they, somebody said they, they thought they smelled booze on your breath. I said, oh, I, I was hitting it pretty hard the night before, but no, I was fine. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. So that's when it started happening. That's when it started catching up to me. And uh, it's embarrassing. You know, I, I was letting myself down. It was, a, it was a nightmare. 
It really was. You're fighting the battle and winning it today, my friend. Well, you know. It's embarrassing if you don't fight the fight. To me, Sam, what I'm proud of is you said, I need to face this and I'm going to fight it. And you're winning today. I think being open and candid, and I hope this feels somewhat therapeutic for you, being able to talk about it with two guys that love you like family. I'm just telling you, I said it for weeks leading into it. When when you said, yeah, I'll come down because we talked on the phone, I, I just think... I think being open and facing it, you know, it, it, we all, it, it, it's a great thing I said to Dave the other day that I learned in the fight game, which is champions stand up when others stay down. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. And, uh, and, and stand up, man. Stand up right now and fight. That's what you're doing. You got a lot of people in your corner. You're going to win this thing. You know, I, before I went into the hospital, I didn't consciously think, all right, it's time to quit. I was so out of it. They had to kind of wheel me out of my house. Man. Well, I mean, wheel me out of that sure. place and then take me to the hospital. And I was just vaguely aware of what was going on mm-hmm. the entire time I was in the hospital. And uh, Minda, my friend. Yeah, sure. She said, one of your friends, Jeff, called. And I know about three Jeffs. And, and it wasn't until I got out of the hospital when you called. I said, yes, this Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had a, we, we had a pretty good... Go- Dave, one of the things that uh, there have been a few conversations I've had with people since I was released from the hospital. One was my sister. She started crying. She said, I feel like I have my brother back. Yeah. Wow. You went on about how, how lucid I sounded. I, haven't, I hadn't been sounding that way the last time we talked before sure. I went in. And it's, it's grat- sobriety is kind of boring, but it's okay. Yeah, it's know? nice, huh? Yeah, I'll take it. But uh, the alcoholism, it was just killing me. And, I, and I, I don't have a problem talking about it because I know there are probably people listening. There are right a lot. Now. Oh, yeah. Jeff and I, we'll, we'll get private messages. Every time we do a show, something like this or depression or anything else, it's really surprising how many people reach out. And even the people that were the bullies on Twitter, those kind of guys mm-hmm. that you think oh, that's, there's a bad guy, those are the ones that seem like the ones are hurting the most. Oh, absolutely. I used to think, well, I'm tough, man. I'm a survivor. You know, Merchant Marines, all this stuff. Yeah. Like, nothing can stop me. I'm bigger than tequila. Nobody's bigger than their addiction. It, it, it might take a while, but eventually it's going to grab you. And all I would say to anybody that knows they have a drinking problem, it's not going to get any better. Let me read to you what just came across from an unnamed friend. And these I've probably gotten 50 of. Okay. This is on my phone tonight as we're sitting there. Not that you guys need an attaboy from me, but you and Dave are doing a great job. Listen to your latest podcast on a walk today and kept listening when I got home. I appreciate you being so open and vulnerable about your personal life. I feel like that allows others to come to grips with their own issues and realize that the Facebook culture of, quote, everything is perfect, end quote, is just a facade. Hope to see you and Dave out of Petco. You know, those are the things. Stormy Daniels. Stormy. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, it's the thing. And that's like I said earlier, where where another friend said, God, you know, they they weren't being critical. They were just like, oh, how do you do that? And I said, because if you don't, they summed it up perfect. You are trying to live the Facebook, which you may have been living for the last couple of years, where you go, everything is great, right? Everything is perfect. And on the inside, you're like, man, I am fighting a battle. I'm drowning here. And you are going to find, I believe, that the more you do this, 
and you find out from other people who checked in and just say, hey, man, I got your back, whether it's me and Dave or, or whoever is next, it's wonderful because you find out, hey, you know what, maybe I did... Maybe I didn't make a nice impact on that person, and they're returning the favor, and it's great. But we don't want it to be all sad. This is the greatest story. <laughs> this is my favorite story ever. It's opening week for Padre baseball. People remember Roseman oh God, Rose sang Man. the national anthem here. Yeah. God damn you, Sam Bass. Tell the story, <laughs> your role in the Roseanne story that I don't know how many people know, but they will know after tonight. Well, I remember uh, we talked about it on your show. On Free FM we did. On Free FM. And I had to clear it with our program director because I'm coming from wholesome... Kixie. You know, yes, family-oriented Kixie. And he said, listen, keep it short. <laughs> don't say too much. Get in and get out. Well, you, you know? can tell it now. I can tell it now. Uh, okay. In, I think it was 1991. Yeah, right around then. Uh, our promotions department got this brilliant idea. Because for about three or four years prior to that, we would have an, uh, a promotion called Kixie Working Women's Day at the Padres. Oh, my gosh. Our station okay. was all about working women. Sure. And I was the guy that they listened to. I was the... Standard bearer. Well, I think his name was Tom Wolf, the guy that produced. The, Tom the, Warner. Tom Warner. There you go. He produced one of the most popular shows on television, and he also bought the Padres. So we thought, hey, here's an idea. Let's have Sam come up with this great idea. It was my idea. It was our promotions sure. department. Great idea. They teamed up with the Padres. And what it was was one day I'm on the air and I'm thinking, hey, you know what? I got a great idea. Let's invite America's favorite working woman to Kixie Working <laughs> Women's Day at the Padres and see if I can get her to sing the national anthem. Yeah, let's bring down Roseanne Barr. It wasn't my idea. Yeah. It was the station and I, had a, I, was, I was the guy that had to read the script and sure. make believe. And uh, it was funny the day of the event. I'm I'm back in the uh, the locker room with Roseanne and Tom Arnold and my uh, uh, the station's photographer and the owner's son Brian yeah. Parker. And it was I think I might have met Tom Arnold was doing a lot of blow. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Roseanne acted like a beaten dog. Really? She, was, she was nothing like the uh, the persona on TV. She was quiet and meek, and I wouldn't. Tom Arnold, later years, he's he's cleaned his act up. Yes, and he said, yeah, he was pretty rough on her. And our photographer asked. He said, uh, they said, okay, if Sam has a picture with him and Roseanne, and Tom Arnold looked at me and he said, you better be an effing, well, you know, a bad term for sure people. And effing whatever. Yeah. Said, English term for a cigarette, maybe? Yes, yes, hey. absolutely. Here, have one of my, you know, <laughs> yeah. have an English oval. Uh, and I said, well, hey, if that's what it takes, Tom, yeah, I'm an effing you know what. And we took our picture, and and then eventually we went out on the, uh, the field. Now, did you have any inkling at all? None. None. Uh, okay, you're thinking they're going to shoot it straight. I think she, 
intended to shoot at. What, come on, what do you what do you expect? You get yeah. Roseanne Barr yeah, with that to sing voice. the national anthem. This is, by the way, July 25th, 1990 is when this happened. There you go. All right. There you go. That's that's why Dave's here. That's why you're on that side of the table. (laughs) And um, so I get up, grab the microphone. I'm up by the the pitcher's mound. I say, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce (laughs) America's America's, favorite working woman, Roseanne to sing the national anthem. And Sam, before you go any further, because we've all seen it, and I'm sure it's like the Garvey home run or so many other things that people claim they were there. Looking back, it's amazing. Twenty eight years, uh, twenty eight years ago, ballpark. Do you remember? I mean, ten thousand, twenty five thousand. You remember what the crowd was like that night? I would say it was probably the Padre game. Yeah, middle of the uh, season. We're not going to go anywhere. I'd say there's probably maybe twenty thousand. Okay, it was okay. a doubleheader against the Reds. Okay, if I'm not mistaken. So and now you've introduced Roseanne. I've introduced Roseanne. My pleasure. Hand her the microphone. <laughs> By the way, I actually made it into the National Enquirer. All, where they have the staples in yeah. the face. Uh, my right up, my congratulations right, my right arm from the elbow That's down. Beautiful. Handing her the mic. That's uh, <laughs> my claim to fame. But she starts singing. And how and, far? How close are you? Well, I'm um, I'm kind of on the on deck circle. Okay, so you moved out of ways. So. I moved out of the way, and she hit a couple of clunkers. Yeah, hit a couple of sour notes, and people started booing. Oh boy. And she, Roseanne grew up in nightclubs. That's yeah. where she cut her chops. And she would work some pretty tough nightclubs. You know you're in a tough nightclub when they have chicken wires. Separating <laughs> the, the, like Roadhouse. The, yes. <laughs> and um, I think she thought, hey, if you think that sounded bad, oh, boy. I'll give you bad. And she just totally destroyed it. And then at the end where she grabs her crotch and yeah. spits, people say she was defaming the flag. And no, she wasn't. She was imitating a ball player. Because yeah. yeah. for some reason, ball players like to tug their junk <laughs> and, and spit. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, you know, it might be a bad it might be a good idea if you guys went back to your box. It just, you know. So we, we took off, got up to the uh, the uh, the box that Is we Is she had. with you? Oh, no, no, we she, left her down there. We, we, we get down there. <laughs> We're getting out of here. Yeah. And nobody said anything about it up the, you know, the skybox. She hit a few bad notes. No big deal. So uh, my son and I, we get home probably around 10.30, yeah. uh, 11 o'clock, whatever. Back then, there were only the three local stations. Yeah, no CNN. Twitter. No, no, no Twitter. Are you kidding? And my wife said, are you guys okay? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, it's all over the news. Oh, Jesus. So we go, you know, all three local stations, <laughs> CNN. I'm not even sure if uh, ESPN was on yet. Yeah, yeah. they would have been on. Yeah, I guess so. So it was, a, it was a, a national thing. Oh, my gosh. And the program director calls me up. And he said, Sam, you're going to have to go on the air tomorrow and apologize. <laughs> I said, apologize for what? It what I do? my yeah. idea. I said, Everybody thinks it was your idea. <laughs> You're going to have to get up in the box. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to say? No, it was all made up. They wouldn't believe anything yeah. we ever did from that point Goddamn on. promotions always has your oh, back, yeah. don't they? Jeez. Goddamn radio so, is great. So what I do, okay. I'll, I'll, I said, you want to hear me say the words, I'm sorry? Yes, 
I want to hear those words. Not we're sorry. No, Not I'm the sorry. radio station yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. God it was damn. my idea, right? Well, so what I did was before I went on the air, I grabbed that morning's UT. Yeah. University, you know, whatever, Tribune. And I take three of the most depressing, disgusting headlines I can find. Mm-hmm. I think one, a little kid that had been missing in the woods. They oh, found, my goodness. They found the body. A couple other things happened. Sure. And I said, uh, just looking through the paper today. And I, said, and I mentioned the three stories. And I said, those stories upset me. But if you're upset, I can't remember the exact words, but if you ignore those stories and focus on the fact that some idiot from L.A., from Hollywood, came down and screwed up the national anthem, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's how I put it. And the general manager said, well, that wasn't really much. That wasn't quite the apology we were looking for. You basically insulted the audience. I said, hey, I said the words, I'm sorry. Yeah. I said, what, do you want me to tell them the truth? Yeah. And I was just a pawn. Yeah. You know? It wasn't my idea to begin with. I thought it was a stupid idea. But, oh, no, our, program, our, our promotions department and the Padres promotions, this is a great idea. Oh, my God. This is a win-win. Well, it, you know. How long did it linger? Well, it still is. People no, still I'm, bring it up. No, but Sam knows what I mean. In, as far as, I mean, people talk about it now, but they'll I, talk about everything. You know what? People got over Frank Sinatra's death in three days. <laughs> yeah. How long is anything going to last? It's a terrible radio story, but I'll tell you this. You'll like this one. We were at KFMB when, uh, when at, well, I was there when Mac died, mm-hmm. and I, I liked Mac, Um and then uh, Jack Woods, oh, yeah. who we loved, and Joe Bauer came in, and it was Jack and Joe, and then they let that show go, and, and they moved Ted to the mornings. Oh, yeah. And, well, now Joe had been there forever, and Jack Woods was a great guy. And I went in, and I said to an upper management guy, who will remain nameless, mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm protecting him, because he's such a good guy. I said, hey, how'd it go with you know, the day after, letting Jack and Joe go? He goes... Well, you saw how many protesters he had to drive through coming in. I'm like, God damn, this is the coldest business <laughs> oh, yeah, in the world. But oh my gosh, that's awesome. That can you imagine those Sam today? I mean, as we talk about, it, we're sitting here, and and 30 feet behind us, Dave's got a TV up on the wall where the Stormy Daniels interview is tonight, and people have talked about that nonstop. It's a 24 hour news cycle, but it's it's amazing. Can you imagine? If something like that happened, you know, today, I oh, mean... people freak out when you take a knee during the National Anthem of right? the NFL. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you spit and grab your crotch today, it's worse. All right, yeah. let me ask you this. Who's the coolest, unless you had a follow-up on that? You have anything follow-up on Roseanne you want to add? No, Post-script no, I'm just thinking about what I missed on 60 Minutes. Tonight. We'll make this sure. gives you an idea of how much I love you guys. You're the best to come down here tonight. Not only did I not go to the Palm Sunday Men's Bible Study, which... I had on my schedule, but I didn't get a chance to watch Stormy Daniels talk about the Commander-in-Chief's junk. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I gave that up so I could be here with you guys. I can, appreciate it. Yeah. Woo. Okay. You're famous. Well, I don't, I don't want to say you're famous for that, but we know you were there for Roseanne. Yeah, yeah. 
But for you, so many people, I mean, I would think Kixie had the time when, when guys would run the gauntlet, musicians come through, musicians that stand out, any that stand out for the right reason and any that stand out for the wrong reason, either in studio or maybe you introduced them on stage somewhere? I'll tell you one story about introducing somebody on stage, but we never really had musicians coming in because to get on the air on Kixie, you had to be an established star. Yeah. Kenny Rogers is not going to come in no. and sit down with me and plug his next song. But uh, Gordon Lightfoot, I've introduced Gordon Lightfoot three times. Wow. Once in the Civic Theater downtown and a couple of times at Humphreys. And when Gordon Lightfoot, this is back in the 70s, he came out with a, a double album called Gord's Gold. Okay. And at the time, he had kind of curly hair. Sure. And a beard. And people always told me, God, you look like that. And at the time, I had long, curly hair and a beard. And I still did when Lightfoot came to San Diego that first time for me. So uh, he had... He'd, he'd been sober for about a year, so he was hanging out by that big urn of coffee, and we had some coffee, and we hit it off pretty well. I said, you know, people always told me I looked like that picture of you on Gord's Gold. And he looks at me and said, yeah, I can see it. So I said, <laughs> I got an idea. Why don't you let me carry your guitar out on stage, put it in that stand where you keep <laughs> your guitar, and then I'll introduce you. And he said, I like that idea. So I go out on stage, the spotlight hits me, I've got the guitar, and the place goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I say, hey, what the hell is wrong with you people? I'm Sam Bass. I'm just carrying Gordon Lightfoot's guitar. <laughs> and it worked. And, oh, and, that's and Lightfoot, wonderful. Lightfoot loved it. Yeah. yeah, he's a good guy. That Edmund Fitzgerald song is a Minnesota kid that used to travel to the North Shore of Minnesota up by Duluth, and knowing that Edmund Fitzgerald took place up there, Oh, that song did today gives me the creeps. Well, let me tell you how that song gives me the creeps. I was in the Merchant Marines for two oh, years. Oh, man. And the first year and a half was spent going from the West Coast to Vietnam. And I thought, well, you know what? I think I'm going to try the Great Lakes for Yeah, a few sure. Months. So I got a job on an ore ship. When I was in the Merchant Marines going to Vietnam, I was a, a deckhand. I yeah. was on deck. Fresh air, you know, sun, all that stuff. But uh, when I was on the, uh, the Great Lakes on an ore ship, I was down below. This is back when they had, you had to shovel coal. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would do these four-hour shifts shoveling coal. And I'd come out looking like I was Al Jolson. <laughs> <laughs> Mammy! Yeah, I, was, I was blackface, man. Yeah. It was crazy. I hated it. But about six months after I, I, I got out of the, the Mercer Marines there, the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. Whoa. And, you know, to a lot of people, those are just words of a song. It's a sad thing, but I could picture exactly yeah. what was I've been to the, oh. the museum in Duluth where they show you the pictures of the boat and the crew. It's like, I shouldn't say creeps. I should say it gives you chills because it's a beautiful song. It gives me the creeps. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. I yeah. bet. But uh, you know, one of these days I should come down and I can tell you Merchant Marine stories. Oh, man, Sam, you know you're There's welcome all the time. Ones. You know, when you, th when you think about San Diego, and if, if I remember correctly, you were raised as a Yankee fan. Oh, my correct? God. Still am, man. S still big Yankee fan. Obviously, 98 was a big deal for us, but 84 was a big deal. Yeah. 
Jeff and I love to talk, obviously, San Diego sports, the people that have, the, have those memories. And, and one of uh, one of our favorites just passed away this weekend. Frank from Frank and Barbara passed away. Oh. And, uh, and, you know, if you ever drive into Qualcomm Stadium, Jack Murphy, you always saw Frank and Barbara, and they were always great. But as far as sports go in San Diego, what stands out to you as far as Tony Gwynn and, and different memories, Chargers, anything else that you go, you know what, I, I was glad I was in San Diego when that happened. My favorite story is one – I think it was my my first or second year out here. <clears throat> I uh, did the uh, was it the uh, well, telethon, the Jerry Lewis telethon. Oh sure, MDA. Of dimes or uh, muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy, and I was one of the celebrities that was you know supposed to be answering phones. Jerry Coleman no, no. was in the green room, and I was a nervous wreck, and. I think he sensed that. And he came up, walked over to me, and said, Hi, I'm Jerry Coleman. Uh, I understand you're Sam Bass. My wife and I love listening to you in the morning. Wow. And I thought, see, this is this guy, Coleman. Yeah. He was my father's favorite Yankee. Oh, my man. dad was Navy Aviation, and Jerry Coleman, oh, yeah. a Marine fighter pilot. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, looking back on it now, I think here's a guy that saw this rookie, nervous yeah. wreck, and he came over and he just calmed me down. And I don't know if, if you guys were at the, uh, the, uh, the memorial, oh, the sure. celebration of his life at, at, uh, at Petco. Yes, absolutely. And if you remember that flyover at the very yeah. end, the, the missing man formation. Yeah. When one of the planes just went off on its own. And I... Yeah. It makes me cry, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, my favorite uh, sports he, he, memory in San Diego. One. I love you say that because we've, we've talked a lot to what he meant to me and what he meant to Dave. And uh, he was just an incredible guy. And, and I love that story that you tell about him because, yeah, I, people loved him. And, and, and Sam, you, you know this. Uh, you meet certain people in life and you go, you you have an expectation in your mind of what you want this guy to be, and when they exceed it, oh. it's incredibly special. Yeah, and and he's one of those guys. I'll, I'll lighten it up for you. You were at Kixie forever. Yeah. Were you ever close to leaving? You were a pretty iconic guy. You've always been an iconic guy. I would think the phone had to have rang a few times. Who was chasing you in in? Would it have been a different format? Was it a different soft rock? Who was chasing it, and how close did you ever come to leaving? I was getting some feelers from KNBR up in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And had I quit Kixie and gone to KNBR, it would have been a bad thing because six months later they changed format. Yeah. Fired everybody. What about locally? Locally, no. I think because I was always wrapped up in a contract. Yeah. And I think everybody knew that. And... um, I never really hung out with radio people. Yeah. I, would get, I would get up, do my show prep, come to work, do my show, and get the hell out, go home, yeah. play with the kids or whatever. But uh, no, I was never, I, I didn't want to buy, I, I knew that I had found the perfect place. Mm-hmm. I, and I also was smart enough to know that there were a lot of people out of work, radio people that had more talent than I had. I just landed at the perfect place. So Perfectly. you were not, you were the guy, 
I shouldn't say the guy, but you were a guy that understood, hey, maybe the grass isn't greener over there. They treat me nice here. I like what I'm doing, and I'm just going to stay here as long as they'll have me. Man, it was kind of fun being, and you know, people would say, oh, you are Kixie. You were. Without you, you, there would be no Kixie. And I'm thinking, well, that's not really true, but thank you anyway. You You were definitely the voice of the station. I I did become the voice of the station, and and I I, I tell people, I, I was on the station for so many years, even if you didn't listen, you would hear my. You would have heard my voice. We have a mutual friend. Um, you know him much better than we do. I always liked him, but he got incredibly offended. His feelings got hurt because he was the music director over there, and they do like they do right now. They pound Ed Sheeran and Pink no. and James Arthur over and over and. It feels like every hour the same song plays, and I'm sure there's a science to it, but when you have a station that's on in the office like you guys have always been, you said, you go, wait, we may be the one radio station where people stick around for more than 15 minutes. Let's not beat them over the head. Which is the one song right now that while you may miss the energy of turning on the microphone, and, and especially today, as healthy as you are, what is the one song as we sit here today that if you continue to be retired, you will be thrilled that you never have to put a smile in your voice and introduce again? Let me guess. Matthew Wilder, Nobody's Gonna Break My Stride. Break my stride. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely up there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think 80s songs that make you want to break a window, that, that's the first one that came to my mind. That's, uh, that, that, that certainly wasn't one of my favorites. <laughs> That's that a great way. call. You know, there was there, there there's just there was so much mediocrity. Yeah. That that it was hard. Let's get physical, Livy Newton John. But they wouldn't play too much mind of that. that, you know, that much. I didn't want to hear it all the time, but uh, there is a science to it. Yeah. I can remember for years we would advertise the no repeat workday. Oh, that's the true. No repeat yeah. workday. And one day I went into the uh, program director's office and I said, you know. I hate that, no repeat workday. Because think about it. Somebody turns on the radio, they're ready to go on oh, someplace. True. They turn on the radio and they hear the last 15 seconds of their favorite song. Yeah. And then I come on and say, hey, it's the no repeat workday, <laughs> yeah. which is telling them, hey, good luck. You're yeah. not going to hear yeah, this one true. again until tomorrow. I get that. That makes sense. And um, <clears throat> so I, I have no idea how they did. Certain songs get played more yeah. frequently than others. and. Don't ask me. There are songs, though, let me put it this way. There are songs that have a certain longevity that have held well that are played on that station. And it's funny. I heard two of them today uh, listening, thinking about it, and I heard them within about an hour. And I go, you know, I hear these songs. Sam must have heard either one of these songs 20,000 times, if not more. But I'll I'll just mention two. Tainted Love comes on. Tainted Love. By Soft Cell. And you hear that and you go, man, that's probably a song. We've all heard a million times. I don't know that we immediately reach over and knock it off. And then Naked Eye is always something there to remind me. Another one where you go, that song's on. That song's got to play a million times. You go, God dang, I wish I'd written both of them. (laughs) I I don't know that I listened to it all the way through. But Sam, is there a song that you go, wow, that song has been played 10,000 times. And if I'm looking at my break list, I go... You know what? I don't mind introducing it. it. It's got that longevity, and there's something about it that everybody seems to like. Well, that would not be Avril Lavigne, because I couldn't stand <laughs> that one. Uh, you know, I, 
I used to actually like it when we'd play Christmas music. Oh, yeah. Because there were some, there were some good ones. Yeah. Now, were you still... Okay, now, help me on that. When you played Christmas music on Kixie, which was brilliant, it, it happened again. <laughs> they, they do amazing in the books. Are you still popping in? Oh, yeah. You're still popping in, oh, right? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm playing, okay. man. I'm, I'm, and the nice thing about Christmas music, you could talk about your childhood. Yeah. And these are songs. I remember once playing a Bing Crosby song. Yeah. And I'm, I didn't say it on the radio, but I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, every voice on this song has been dead for 10 years. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Know? But it's still alive. And it brought back memories of my childhood, my mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, it, it was fun. I and, told Dave this year it was funny because during that time, and it starts right around Thanksgiving, and it's so great, and Kixie just crushes it. Oh, yeah. And you hear, you know, Mariah Carey or John Lennon and all, all the songs we all know, right? Everything plays. And I don't know what happened, but we had, I believe it was Kixie, but I'm not 100% sure. We had it on at work, and and it was had to be like January 3rd, and Mariah Carey's song comes on. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing how quickly people go, what's this bullshit? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we've heard it for five straight weeks, every day, you know, twice an hour, and you go, oh man, this is great, it's Christmas, I gotta do the stockings. And it's two days after January first. It was like they played it June fifteenth. Oh God! And uh, now again, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure it was Kixie, but it just was one of those things where you heard the song, and the whole office was like, two days. We just got back in the office. What's this bullshit? I think we always <laughs> tried to wrap it up by uh, Christmas Day, like midnight on Christmas. It's day. very weird the next day, isn't it? When you're driving and all of a sudden it's back it's, to Ed Sheeran and Pink, and you're like, "Well, what happened? Yeah, yeah what happened to Johnny Mathis? <laughs> Where's Yoko telling me uh, this is Christmas? Thank God, that's the one song. Whoever let Yoko sing on John Lennon singing, so this is Christmas. Then all of a sudden, Yoko comes in. I'm like, God, there's never been a bigger e-break in the middle of a song than that. But I guess when the boss wants his wife on, you put the you put the <laughs> wife on, right? And she probably, you know, promised him some 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 fun Asian. You tricks. watch it. <laughs> this is a family podcast. No, it's a podcast. Man. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> Sam, I'm going to break your back tonight, Johnny. Sam, you have a legacy. <laughs> Meanwhile, not to get off subject, but there was one, you know, Paul McCartney. You know what he reminds me of? Who's that? Angela Lansbury. Oh, my oh, goodness, funny. right? But, but, he said something. He was at the walk the, in, in New oh, York yeah. City. Oh, yeah, yes. And they said, well, how does this affect you, Paul? Oh, my what do goodness. You think? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I, I lost a, my best friend to gun violence, not far from where we're standing no, my now. God. And that really brought it home. Yeah. And, of course, the kids and everything. And, yeah. And, uh, boy, here I just <laughs> drove this no, happy you know, mood into the No, into you know why, Sam? I'm glad you said it, because Dave and I have talked about the fact that we were on the air on 9-11. We were on the air for Columbine and a couple other things that were incredibly difficult. But you... Uh, it was a Monday night. Take me back that day. Do you remember the Tuesday after? I'm guessing. I think I have the dates right. December 9th. It would have been Tuesday, December 9th, 1980. There were. Uh, I got that. And, and I'm sorry, Sam, but but that album seems yeah. like it fits right in uh, with with what the format would have been. There were three days in my radio career that were very hard to be on the air, and one of them 
Well, I don't know if you guys were in town when the PSA crashed. No, I was not here yet. Oh, my goodness. That crashed on my way to work that day. I thought, wow, i got to talk about this. The other time was uh, the McDonald's massacre. Oh, my goodness. All those little boys and girls were killed. And uh, my my wife is uh, from Mexico. Mm. And two of my kids are 100% Mexican, you know. And uh, to see these, their little bodies, you know, it it made me think of my kids. And the other time that was difficult was that Tuesday that I had to talk about John Lennon. Because I can remember, we're up in the bedroom with my my second wife. (laughs) But uh, newsflash, John Lennon has been murdered. And I'm thinking, tomorrow's going to be an interesting day. Because at the time, we didn't play any Beatles songs on Kicks. Mm. No Beatle music. No, no, no. So that morning, I called up the program director, and I said, hey, we got to start playing Beatles songs because people are demanding it. Mm-hmm. And from that day on, we played the Beatles. And I got to pick certain songs that I thought were fitting. And uh, it was one of the few times I actually cried on the radio. Cause yeah. John, uh, John was my guy. Yeah. Was he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can remember... Uh, there were four of us in my family, mom, dad, my sister, myself, and John was my guy. My sister, obviously, she, she loved Paul because he was the cute one. My dad could care less, so we gave him Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my mom liked, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it was tough. It was As a big. New York guy, uh, I've said to Dave, I have, I have been to the Dakota, mm-hmm. and you stand there in the gate, and the yeah. doorman... Are incredible. At least when I was there in '95, I believe they were incredibly friendly. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like anybody, I guess, in life. If you're friendly to them, they'll be friendly back to you. But they were incredibly open. They would not let you go in, and I, I had no desire to go into the doorway. But you could stand if you walked about ten steps to the left. It, it was a pretty clear shot. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. terrible choice no, of words. Jesus. No, but it, you could, you had a clear oh, yeah. view. Let me say it that way. You had a clear view, and you said, oh, my goodness, it, it's like anything. It's, we look at it, and you go, it's just terrible. But, Sam, I would think even more, as, as a Beatles fan, but as a New York guy, you, like me, love that city. You much more have a much deeper connection. I've always said to Dave, if I could live anywhere in the world, it would be New York. Greatest and, city in the world. I love it. Money. Yeah, if you don't have a lot of money. No, I don't. It's, a, it's a hard but, place. But but for you, knowing that it happened in New York, was it even more of a connection? No, the only time I was uh, emotionally affected by something that happened in New York was nine eleven. Yeah, and the reason why that was, I, I I remember looking at those buildings outside my dorm room. Yeah, and my daughter was going to NYU law school at the time. Oh, man. my oldest daughter. And after the first plane went in. My daughter, my youngest, she says, Dad, a plane has flown into the, uh, one of the uh, towers. I thought, well, that's probably a little Piper Cub, that, you know. Yeah. And I, I turn on the set, and as I'm watching, t- I'm, and I'm talking to Clarice, my oldest daughter. I said, are you okay? And she said, what are you talking about? She's in a uh, federal courthouse five blocks away from Whoa. the Twin Towers. And then the second plane goes in, and then suddenly our phone connection is dead. Oh, my goodness. I have thinking, As a oh, parent. Cow. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. Uh, what yeah. happened on Kixie that day? Well, I don't know, because I had taken that day off, because I had some outside work to do. Mm-hmm. 
and um, I had some time coming. So uh, the previous week, I said I'd like to have, was it a Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday? I'd like to take Tuesday off because I had a few outside voice gigs to do. But uh, I was at this one place. Ironically, we did military training. Okay. And uh, I'm in the, one of the guy's offices, and we're watching TV, and we see the tower come down. Yeah. And then we see the other tower come down. And uh, it gave me a lot of motivation to go in and do those training videos, I'll tell you, because... Uh, yeah, that was a tough day for... for was there a day that yeah. you wanted to be on the air? Dave and I didn't want to be on the air. And our boss, Dave Sniff, said, no, you will be on the air. Because he said, we've heard so much during the day that it's political. I just want two guys that are real. And really, the only thing we did that night, we were just traffic cops. And we talked about firefighters coming in. But I, I, I've said to Dave Sniff, um, that day at, at 11, I didn't have any desire to be on the air. But I'm incredibly... Thankful that I was. I wish we had tapes of it so my kids could be like, wow, my my dad was awful, but he was on the air that <laughs> night. Looking back, Sam, because as a broadcaster, we, we like the ability to turn on the mic. However, that happened in your hometown. Is there any part of you that looked... Were you on Wednesday? Were you on the I next day? I came back on Wednesday. Okay. And, 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 what was that we, like? Well, basically, we were just trying to be a source of comfort yeah. to our listeners. Nice. You know, I mean, okay, the world is all turned upside down. And, and I remember the first day I was on, I got to the point where I was ready, I, my last break. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, listen, on your drive home, be nice to each other. Because yeah. Lord knows there's a bunch of people out there in the world who want to kill us. So let's be friendly. Let's be good to each other. Somebody needs to pull into the lane ahead of you, let them in. Yeah. Give a little wave, you know. Be good to each other. And it's amazing, right after 9-11, Americans started, as a nation, didn't matter what color you were, what religion you were, we pulled together. I think that great feeling lasted for about eh, maybe six days, and then we're back to (laughs) flipping each other off on the Same as Christmas week. Yeah, Leading up to Christmas, we're all nice to each other. Then we hear Mariah Carey, and we're like, what's this bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) Mariah Carey, most of her stuff I don't want to hear. Her Christmas music is great. Wonderful, right? Oh, God, it's good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. um, And another time, most of the time... there are a couple of... we have time for this? Absolutely. All right. For years, we did the uh, Children's Hospital radio. Oh, my goodness. R-A-D-Y-O-Thon, yep. Radiothon. And it was a Friday. And we got to get those phones ringing, bringing mm-hmm. that money in. And our program director at the time, a good friend of yours, mm-hmm. Charlie. Yeah. Charlie comes over with this, this piece of paper. It's about what happened at Sandy Hook. Oh, my God, Connecticut, yeah. Uh, yeah. Newtown, Sandy Hook Elementary, yeah. whatever. And I'm thinking, geez, all these kids have got massacred. Yeah. How the heck am I going to encourage people to make phone calls and blah, blah, blah? i got to give this some thought. And we can't make believe it didn't happen because yeah. it sounds like I'm, I'm an idiot with my head in the sand. This is what's going on right now. This is what everybody's thinking and talking about. So I don't know where the words came from. But I said to myself, you know, I acknowledged what happened in Connecticut. And I said, I just feel so blessed to be in a building that has one purpose, and that's to care for our children. Yeah. And I said, I, I pray to God that there's a hospital like Children's Hospital back in Connecticut 
that can care for those kids who survived. Yeah. Maybe got wounded and whatnot. But that really, we got more phone calls that day. People just felt this love and compassion for children, even if they weren't their yeah. own children. And we, we did quite well. It's amazing. I, I, I said, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Dave and I had just left 1090. We had just left 1090. We were incredibly frustrated. It was a very, very frustrating situation. We left, and my sons were in kindergarten. And I loved picking them up every day, but that whole week I was so grumbling because I didn't want to be dropping them off and picking them up. I liked the idea of picking them up. And on that day, they were in kindergarten. And I dropped them off. You know, hug for each guy, put him into Mrs. Crawford's class, who's just an amazing woman. And I got my car, and, like, the first thing kind of popped about Sandy Hook. And I went home, and I just watched it, and I was just devastated, like so many of us were, because I had two little guys that I had just dropped off with their little lunchbox and their backpack, and I just sat there, and every face I saw, every parent I saw, was the parents I had seen for the four days leading up to that when I was being a complete dick. <laughs> and I just said to myself, I go, I will never again in my life ever complain about an opportunity to hold their hand, to walk them in a backpack, to to hug them and to tell them I love them. And yeah, Sam, I, I know exactly what you mean because that when when... We talked about 9-11 or, or other days where you want to be on the air because you're a broadcaster and it's that adrenaline. The only place I wanted to be on that day was with my own two sons right. who were in kindergarten at that time. There was, If somebody would have said, hey, we've got an afternoon shift, I'd have been like, man, I'm going nowhere. I'm going to drop them off tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. Sometimes I feel like what I did on radio, which was basically I, I tell people, I say dumb stuff in between the songs. That's my job. And there are only two days during the year that I feel like when I open up the microphone, it's to make a difference. And that's when we do the radiothons for Children's Hospital. And also when there are wildfires, Mm -hmm. when people are counting on you for information, because that's the one time that, actually hit the microphone, (laughs) that radio really serves a function. Not just to play Mariah Carey or Avril Lavigne or some of those songs that you sure. were mentioning, but we're performing a service. That's really what radio was meant but to you, do. Sam, here's, but Sam, here's the service that you're performing that I know you know, but, but you're, you're gliding over. I'm not going to let you glide over it. There are a lot of lonely people in the world. Oh, yeah. And the lonely people in the world find comfort still in the benefit of AMFM radio and the service that you did in this community for 40 years and counting is when people didn't feel like they had a friend, they may, you may have never met them, but they knew you, their friend was Sam Bass. And when they hear that voice of comfort that you provided on a daily basis with the music, and there were probably songs where they go, yeah, Sam, you know, that's the song I need right now, and there were probably others. God damn it, Sam, haven't I talked to you? And you're, you're probably thinking, well, I've never met you, but that, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Sam, you were there for people when they needed you to be there. It's the great treasure that we've been given is being able to work in this medium. It's a gift. That's why Dave and I said every day, we are so fortunate, we are so blessed. Radio owes us nothing. We owe everything to radio. 
And when people have approached any of the three of us, and that's why I asked you earlier, when somebody says, hey, I like what you do, when people have reached out on social media right now at this time in my life, in Dave's life, and you're going to hear it too, it's humbling. You mentioned the word humbling and gratifying. I don't even feel like for three guys that speak for a living, we can find the word. So please don't ever tell yourself that there were only two days a year. Buddy, there were five days a week for 40 years that you were there and you provided a voice of comfort. I've said it all the time. There were guys that I wanted to meet in this business when I got lucky enough to get into radio. One of them was the great John Leslie. John Leslie from KGB. Oh, yeah. Who sadly, ironically, uh, died due to alcoholism. I know all about John's story. He was insanely good to me. And speaking of the Beatles, a Beatles song to this day, when I hear it at John's memorial, when they did a paddle out, there was a gentleman that I don't know his name. I'd love to know it. I'd give him credit. Berger, Prescott, Cole Lewis, all these Jim McInnes, they were all there. Walked out and as a group, all these KGB icons sang in my life. Mm-hmm. And it was, Wow. And, and John was that guy. But the guys that I wanted to meet, I wanted to meet John Leslie. I got to be friends with John Leslie. I got to meet Ted Leitner. I'm friends with Ted. Jerry Coleman, oh, yeah. I talked about it a couple of nights ago, was so good to me. And Sam, you're on that list. I said it about Jerry, and I will say it here regarding Sam. There are guys you want to meet, and you have an idea of what they will be like. And when they exceed it, it makes all the difference in the world. You have always done that. You have always supported us. There is nothing funnier that I used to get a kick out of, and I, I hope you remember this, but I would finish our show, and there would be Fridays when I would have to drive to, to Orange County. And I would text Sam, and I would say, Sam, I'm listening to you in San Clemente. <laughs> you sound great. And I was just reaching out to say hi. And all of a sudden in the break, hey, Jeff Dotson driving up there in Orange County. I was on 1360, and it was just, I got the biggest kick. And you know what's funny about that, Sam? I would have more people say, I can't believe Sam says hi to you. I would get more response from Sam saying hi to me on Kixie than anything Dave and I had done for the three hours earlier in the morning. But I just can't thank you enough for coming down here. You're an absolute treasure as a friend you're a treasure in this business i knew this was going to be great and it exceeded expectations as you've always done well i had a good time and uh, i for the past 15 20 minutes i forgot that we're even isn't it great podcast. i'm just talking man. that's awesome I, 40 year career very, very very impressive you know r- real quick you said a word in there that i thought was interesting especially what it seems like we're going through on a daily basis when you said hey be nice to the person that you're on the freeway Use the word compassion. It seems like we're in a stage right now where it feels like people, we've forgotten about compassion or what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. We're in such a fuck you society right now. It's, <laughs> it's really it's really frustrating. And the word compassion, it's uh, I think about that almost every day because as I watch the news and I listen to different people talk to each other, I'm like, what what happened? You know, what happened? Times have changed dramatically. Uh, you know, over, over whatever's going on. When Jeff mentioned Sandy Hook, that, it drives me crazy. Anything with kids getting hurt drives me nuts. You mentioned Children's Hospital and, and stuff like St. Jude's and, and things that benefit kids. I don't know what happened. It seemed like so many people that we know that you thought you knew has, have turned their back on everybody. I think one of the big problems that's facing our society, <clears throat> I'm holding up 
my smartphone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my stupid phone. It's, it's, it's made our society go inward. Yeah. How many people do you see snapping selfies? Mm-hmm. Give me a break. You know, we've become so into ourselves. And there's a whole generation right now who's spent every waking minute, you know, looking at their damn phones. Yeah. They're not communicating anymore. One-on-one, eyeball-to-eyeball. It's all this stupid thing. Yeah. The cell phone, the, the smartphone, the, the thing that... I, I can't figure people out. They're going to go for a walk. They're walking their dog. They're walking their kids home from school. And they got earbuds mm-hmm. in, and they're on their phone. Just... Pull that stuff out, unplug, listen to the bird, listen to God's music. Or your kids. Or, or you, Well, that's part of God's music. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember once uh, driving up the hill, a lady's coming down the hill, a stroller, her kids, and the, the kid looks miserable. Well, that's because mom's got her earphones mm-hmm. on, and she's messing with her phone. Yeah. You know, I, I'm glad that my kids grew up before we had iPhones and... and, and earbuds yeah you know it's like listen to the world take some time to unplug yeah i remember i i I made a crack once remember when the uh what were those things the uh see i'm reaching that age where i can't think of anything anymore um the uh how recently this is like in the 80s oh rubik's cube or one of those yes the walkman and I remember once I'm um, La Jolla Shores, sure, wandering around one afternoon, and I see a young couple. They they both have earphones. Oh on, yeah, and they're making out. And I, and I talked about this <laughs> on the, to the air. Listen to the police synchronicities oh, tape. This is well. That's what I was thinking. I said I hoped that they were at least listening to the same song. Yeah right. <laughs> oh my God! You know, it's like we become addicted to these things and. Uh, I, hard, I hardly ever... My GPS doesn't even work. That's why I have <laughs> Poor to guy. you guys. We tracked you down. Here? We tracked you down. Hey, I want to ask you this, because uh-huh. Dave and I uh, have three sponsors that make this show happen, and we're oh, really? so thankful. And one of the things that I don't think... Well, I, I, I shouldn't say it. Maybe you do. But I don't feel like people talk about it. You had a wonderful career as a voiceover guy. You were the voice of San Diego Hardware. You did Padres commercials for a long time i feel like you did one of the furniture companies for a while uh jerome's jerome's you did for a long time Close carpeting forever yeah sam what is it for people because I, I look i feel like when you look at our industry right now there may not be necessarily opportunities for doing what you did or doing what dave and i were lucky enough to do but there's always going to be opportunities in the world of voiceover what is it about voiceover that, that is the key to success? The voiceover work was always my least far favorite part of no my career. No kidding. How come? Because I, I, I hated writing commercials, for one thing. But would you always want to write your own script? Well, I would rather write my own script than have to read a script written by somebody else. Okay, gotcha. Even though I, I, I could do that. But it, was, it wasn't fun. It was a job. Wow. I, it was just—it wasn't me. I got so I could fake it pretty well. Yeah. And it did make. It brought in a lot of money. Yeah. And then little by little, you know, you, nothing lasts forever, and you start losing clients. And uh, I hung on to a handful. 
Yeah. Kept them for a long time. But uh, when I first started doing voiceovers, you know, you get 300 bucks for a 60-second spot. And then insane. Yeah. Now people are doing 60-second spots, and they're trying, you know, they get like 25 bucks. Yeah. Because there are all these things online where, you know, I mean, it, 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 the, the money's just not there anymore. Yeah. There are a few people making huge dollars. Yep. But they're few and far between. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly unfortunate. Hey, do you follow your Twitter at Sam Obass if people want to say hi to you? I, I, here's the deal. I'm not on Instagram. No. Snapchat, forget about it. I do have Twitter when I was on the radio, when I was mm-hmm. still on Kixie. I would, I would check it. I'm, I'm, I'm doing Facebook. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm not real good when it comes to this, you know, social networking. I never figured out MySpace. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, right. I never bothered with that. <laughs> you know, while everybody else has uh, flip phones, I'm still trying to figure out the fax machine. You know? <laughs> hey, I just, yeah. I, I just got paged on my beeper. You know? I remember when beepers became popular. <laughs> I used to go around with my uh, garage door opener. Yeah. In my, in, because people might think I'm cool. <laughs> Hey, you know, I'm, I can't keep up with you guys when it comes to this. All right, but if they're, if, they're, uh, if, if people... Hear, I will check it, though. If, if people are going to start sending me tweets... To send any things... Because of Sa- this. It's at Sam Obass. Sam Obass. Okay. Yeah. So because, Sam, I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to find it. Dave and I have found it. And, and I know you well enough that you're going to like it. Okay. And, and I think... I think Look, there's always a thing when we go off the air, we all do it, where you go, God, do people even remember what I used to do? But but being as open as you were tonight, which was incredibly good, um, people are going to want to reach out, and they're going to say, Sam, keep fighting the good fight, and you may find that somebody may send you a direct message and talk about what's going on with them, and I think you're going to be able to relate, and I think what we all find, and this is what I've shared with you this week before we did it, it's nice to know that the battles we're fighting, we're not fighting by ourselves. Oh, because absolutely. you know, I'm sure, Sam, there had to be days when you were in that hospital bed where you felt like, man, I'm the only man on this island. And all your friends that checked in, I was just one of the many. But we wanted to remind you, hey, you're not alone in this. But, but I think right now, when you hear from people who you have touched their lives, more than just, in your opinion, those two days a year, yeah. It's going to motivate you to be even stronger tomorrow than you are today. Well, I never realized how many people I impacted yes. until Facebook. Right? I, I didn't hear it so much because it got to the, towards the end. I didn't want to answer the phone. Yeah. You know, who, who, who has time for that? Yeah. yeah. In, in who wants to talk days, to anybody? That's all, that's all we had was our phone. So, you know, hey, send me a text, this and that. I don't feel like answering the phone right now because it's taking me away from other things. And uh, even now, I'd rather get a text than a phone call on yeah. the iPhone there because you're interrupting me. You yeah. know? It's, it's, I, I hate to say it, but if you've got kids, forget it. They're not going to no. pick up the phone. No, you're right. Oh, it's, it's Grandpa. He wants to talk to me. You know, <laughs> How's Days of Our Lives? I haven't been watching. What in has happened to you? I'll tell you. Here's here's how I spend my days. Okay, let me hear it. Oh, I, I it used for, to be days of our lives. Yeah, you would text pictures I, out with your shoes up I on the would. console watching days of our lives on that crummy and I, TV. And I was hooked on it. Days of our lives, the young and the restless. Oh, yeah. Uh, I like to uh, watch CBS Morning News. Yeah, they're very good. Very, very good. And then I'll go over to uh, what's Megyn Kelly. 
Okay, how's she, that show? She, very good. Really? Very okay, good. good. Very good. And then Wendy Williams. I love Wendy <laughs> Williams. My God, I love her. I can't, I can't you know, I, 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 who's this tranny? And then I oh, it's Wendy. Wendy. Great show, smart. She's like the, the female Howard. She is funny. I love Wendy Williams. And then uh, my girlfriend really likes crime shows. Okay. ID, investigation. Oh, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Well, we watch that at night, you know, for, for, so we can have nightmares. But I like to, <laughs> I like to watch, um, I just bounce around. Yeah. yeah. I like to watch the Food Channel. Yeah. You know? Guy Fieri, you like that when Guy he travels Fieri, around? And uh, Andrew Zimmern. Oh, yeah, Minnesota I, kid. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. He eats some crazy stuff, though, on that show. That show, yeah, yeah. don't eat that show right before dinner. You're like, oh, I'll see you in the morning. Well, I, the other day, I was, I was thinking, I'm ready for some testicles. You know? <laughs> Andrew Zimmern says, those are like heaven. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll give him a try. You know our Minnesota guys. We're not too bright. <laughs> uh, Sammy's on Twitter, at Sam O'Bass. Uh, you are always welcome here. You know that, right? All right. The next time I come down, I'll tell you some good Merchant Marine stories. We'll take, we'll take Merchant them. Marine stories, and we'll tell off the air, we'll just tell good Charlie Quinn stories, too. But that'll be just for the three of us who we love more than anybody. I've got some good ones, too. i got a good one, too. The last time I was in Nashville, they all knew who Charlie Quinn was. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, 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 have been, I have been looking forward to this ever since we talked about it uh, shortly after I got out of the hospital. Now, I'll go for my walks in the morning. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'll be thinking, what do I want to talk about when I yeah. get together? And I thought, forget about it. Just let it flow. Yeah. Absolutely. Let That's what come. we're trying to do. You know we'd take care of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. got to thank these three yeah. guys. Otherwise, we Let's can't afford to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, listen, Sam. You're going to need all <laughs> three of these guys. The <laughs> yeah, hey. for sure. I love them. All right. All right. Right now, if you're in the market and you say, look, I want to sell my house. I'm looking to buy a house. I want to get out of the renting market. Brian Curry is your guy. Brian Curry is the guy that will help you in real estate. Look, Sam's coming from North County all the way from the Poway Ranch, Bernardo area, beautiful area. That's where Brian Curry's office is. But look, he will help you find a house anywhere throughout San Diego as Jeff pushes people away from IB and pushes yeah. people away from Lakeside. He, certain places Jeff will not deal no, with. No, Lakeside's fine. I was actually in Lakeside today. Lakeside's kind of cool, old school. Sam, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've done plenty of stuff there. Oh, yeah. I do like old school Lakeside down Main Street where I have said to people, I will not let you move. I'm not going to let you move to IB. Because you can live in Coronado. It's close enough. And I will not let you live in City Heights. Those are the <laughs> two areas right. in San Diego. Because the only thing they have in City Heights is in El Pollo Loco. And they have plenty of those around San Diego. So, Brian, I've instructed Brian, if anybody calls from our show, do not send them to IB or City Heights. Save that for people that listen to Kevin D. <laughs> <laughs> you mean somebody's actually listening to him? Though? Watch it. <laughs> Wow. That mic is still hot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was in Lakeside today. And I saw three people on horseback. This poor horse. This one guy was like 400 pounds. I'm like, oh my gosh, this horse is Lakeside's the greatest. It was awful. Lakeside is fantastic. Here, Brian Curry will help you get wherever you want in San Diego. The number again, 619-251-1588. Again, 619-251-1588. Sam, every night I go home now, the five. I go home the five and right at fourth kind of like being in Pershing, there is this tallest condo building built. And I've told my kids, I'm moving back to La Mesa for my boys. And I remind my boys every day, I go, you know, the things I have sacrificed for you, <laughs> this insane 
condo building. It looks like it's 110 stories tall. It's probably 31, but I can't count. <laughs> and they're all lit up in these gorgeous condos with these outstanding views. I'm jealous of everybody who lives in that building. As soon as they build that building in La Mesa, where I think the tallest <laughs> building is two stories, oh, I'll be in heaven. But my man Brian Curry is going to take care of Gus. You know what? I, and, and I've heard nothing but good things about Brian. Seriously. Wonderful guy. But I like downtown La Mesa. Yes, the, the, the village is yes, beautiful. Yes, it is. There's a lot of nice areas around. The village is beautiful. I do. I love being there. Once you get that house, don't forget about the people over at Barkley Landscape. Ryan and his dad, Scott, doing fantastic things. Been in business for more than 35 years. You name it. Family owned and operated for 35 years with free estimates, commercial and residential maintenance, artificial turf, sod insulation. Don't forget in March, we only have a few days left, 20% off weed cleanup, including spray. Sam, you've been around here long enough. You mentioned it earlier. When you see the brush fires, it's heartbreaking. It is, sadly, the one thing that often brings this community together. And the thing why we're so thrilled to have the Barkley family part of this podcast is because they are the guys that we encourage people. Get out in front of it. Make sure all those dry shrubs have have Ryan come out. 35 years of experience. They're going to clean that backyard. They're going to do, look, obviously, we love having the beautiful front yard, the beautiful backyard. They can do all of that for you, and they'll do it insanely well. But as we get in, we've had a little bit of rain. We get spoiled. We feel like all of a sudden we're Seattle. We're not Seattle. And before the dry season comes, make that phone call. Have them come out. Have them help you prepare so that, God forbid, if fire season affects your neighborhood, you know you're going to be in good hands. Absolutely. Ryan's number, 619-669-8000, 619-669-8000. And again, we'll hit the inside because Happy Plumbing, that can help you out. Blake and Travis, they're your guys. Happy Plumbing, happyplumbing.com. That's the website. Easiest way to get in touch with them. Upfront flat rate pricing, no travel charges. Courteous, uniform professionals are licensed and insured. Again, give Blake and Travis a call. They will help you out, and they have that special drain cleaning. This is the job, Sam, you don't want in retirement. Okay, $99 <laughs> drain cleaning any drain. The stuff that you see come out of drains, absolutely incredible. $99 any drain, they will do it for you for $99. Uh, I've already said he's already booked because as soon as I get in my new place, I'm just going to say, look, here's the key. Go in there because unless it's a brand new house, which it will not be, I worked in radio, <laughs> somebody had been clogging that drain before I got there. And I don't want to know what they've been clogging <laughs> it with. So Blake, just get in there, bring your buddy Travis, get those drains cleaned out because I'm going to be there. My kids are going to be there. Make sure that disposal's working. The water pressure's right. It's not scalding hot like uh, like it can be so often. Yeah, I mean, isn't it funny, Sam, where you think about these guys? We're so lucky. Brian Curry, you go, man, I need a good real estate guy. Uh, Ryan Barkley at Barkley Landscape, you start thinking about all the yep. different things, what we need. And now Blake and Travis said happy plumbing because, Sam, you've been here long enough. You know what happens when you get that leak. You go, who the heck am I going to call? Well, and I love the name, too, Happy. Because right. plumbing is something you don't think about until that time you flush the toilet yeah. and it doesn't go down. Yep. Yeah. It comes up and up and up and then... Start praying. All over the yeah. <laughs> Start praying. Where's the plunger when I need yeah. it? Yeah. Happy plumbing. I like it. Because when I flush the toilet and it works, I'm happy. Little <laughs> 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 things we take for granted. Uh, oh. Hey, Dave, before we cut yes. out a couple of things, uh, we are going to break the radio news because, uh, Sam, you may have not heard this. 
and we will not be back until uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night. We're going to be back Wednesday night. Dave's got a family matter tomorrow. I've got a family matter on Tuesday. We'll be back Wednesday night. Uh, here's the main radio. We're going to break the main radio one. We'll save the other one okay. until Wednesday. The main radio news that we have sat on for this entire podcast, and we're not even going to put it in the promotion. If you have stayed to the end, you're going to get this. There are rumors all over town that Nick Hardwick is leaving Extra 1360. Here's why I would not be shocked if it's true. I could not get it confirmed. Nobody in the building will say it. But there is a lot of rumblings. Nick likes being the good guy. He is a very good guy. I know a lot of you are upset with him for working with the team. Just, I would just tell you, and, and Sam, I don't know if you've met Nick at all. I met him on a couple of vacations, and he big guy and a nice guy. He is a nice guy, okay? I As know, alpha men go, he's yes. a nice guy. Isn't that a perfect way of putting it, Sam? I know you're upset that he has stayed with that team, and I know you're upset that he has said some things. As Sam put it so beautifully earlier, talking about Roseanne, if you look in the paper today, if you look at the kids that marched yesterday in D.C., if the only thing you're upset about is Nick's association with that team, then in Sam's brilliant way of putting it, then I'm sorry for you too. And I had nothing to do with it. I'll speak on behalf of Nick. I'm sure Nick says it. But I'm, I'm sure he liked being the good guy. He did not want to be Ric Flair, the bad guy. He wanted to be Hulk Hogan, the good guy. And I think... I don't know if it's true, but I think it has gotten to him how much people have hated him. And I think he probably just wants to focus on his family and, and being an NFL broadcaster. And gonna, I hear he's going to open some businesses around town. Well, I wouldn't open them in this yeah, town. I think that's exactly I'd go, I'd go open them in Orange County. <laughs> I mean, Nick, Jesus Christ, read the writing on the wall, kid. If you open them, don't put your name on it. God damn, how much can I do for you, Nick? I mean, he, he's a Purdue guy. I mean, like, shit. Yes, you can't expect Purdue guys a, to be very bright. Didn't even play yeah. uh, football in yeah. high school. That's why the Gophers beat Purdue as often as they did, because you got dumb shits that go, I'm getting out of here, and I'm going to open a business in San Diego. Jesus Christ. Is that right? Meanwhile, yeah. hey, today, Kansas, Kansas beat Duke. 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 In overtime. So we, uh, a very good friend of ours, the three of us. Yes. His first name was Bob. Yes. Last name starts with a B. Yes. He's got to be semi-suicidal. Well, he should be suicidal because that radio station he's running is horse shit, too. Oh, you mean the... uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. The one that goes from... Weird, uh, heavy English-type rock and roll to... Uh, well, they hired the biggest meathead in the history of radio. I mean, that... that, that uh, da, da, da. Yeah. yeah, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But but the radio news is that we have been promising is that it sure feels like Nick Hardwick's going to give it... A, <laughs> all I had heard was that he was going to get out of radio. If he's seriously thinking yeah. about opening... Well, he's the, getting out of the, the morning show. The morning show, yeah. yeah. I mean, getting out of the station, but... Are still, they bringing you guys back? No. and uh, <laughs> No, we would not go back to 1360. No. I would I would tell you this. Uh, when when Dum Dum said the other day on his Twitter that uh, he heard they were going 9 to noon at 1090 and he was challenging people to go local against it, oh, I'll take that fucking challenge any day of the week. <laughs> I'll take that challenge any day of the week. There's not much that would make me leave this to do that, but a meathead wants to go one-on-one with this show, we'll take we'll take that bet. 
<laughs> he's, he's he's a dope. And Darren Smith emasculated him the other night. Like I've never seen a guy really? get emasculated. No yeah. kidding. That's Darren, why you got to get back on Twitter. That's uh, right, you should. and your Irish name. Silio <laughs> uh, uh, said, "Was I don't know what happened, but he got into it with." Kaplan and and I, I again I don't know what started everything or where it all went. All I know is that Darren ended everything by saying, "Hey, I cashed more bonus checks last year than you did your entire time here," and then you didn't hear much more <laughs> from one side, and then it got bad. But yeah, if if they need a show to go nine to noon, I know two guys that would like that challenge very much. <laughs> well, now I can listen too because I'm 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 unemployed. Oh, don't I'm, don't, no, don't no, waste I'm, your time I'm with retired. that show, Sammy. I'm, I forgot. I'm retired. Don't waste your time with that show, buddy. Um, but our thanks to all them, and we will see Dave. He's not going to put his name on the business, is he? Yeah, of course he will. What oh, business? Do you want me to tell you what the, what we've heard? It's it's uh, a gym. He wants to open up a, a bunch of gyms throughout town. Hmm. I, I, look again. Nick's a nice guy. Nick's biggest problem was the fact guy. that he did the whole rally, the whole Love San Diego deal, and then a few weeks later was like, "I don't know what I was doing at that rally. I shouldn't have been the face of that thing." He kind of just stepped in it and drew the line in the sand. And somebody it's needs backfired. his business advisor needs to tell him this may not be the market for you to open a business. People have a lot of resentment against I know, you're him. Right. Unfortunately, you're right. Again, he he's always been a really nice guy. It's funny. One of the first times he came in a studio with us was when we were at Free FM and Sam was across mm. the hall. That's one of the first times I remember meeting Nick and really creating our friendship with him. Yep. Did he play on any other teams besides the No, Chargers? he was only here. Kind of like Billy Ray Smith. I mean, yes. The, the Chargers will always be their team. Yeah, correct. It's like correct. when you're in the military. Correct. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the guys you serve with are closer than brothers. Correct. And, I mean, he, he, he loves the team. I can't fault him for that. Uh, absolutely not. But, but in a city where the town, and Sam, you understand, where the town feels violated by what happened, and if you're going to stay vocal in your lo- loyalty, which is fine, it's your right, but it's why people have changed, I think, a lot towards LaDainian Tomlinson. I think people have changed a lot towards Nick. But what's funny is Philip Rivers still cashes a check for $18 million a year, right? Oh, yeah. After he was going to retire and leave. And I have no, I bol- don't take that like I have any axe to grind with Philip Rivers. I do not. But it is funny how we're selective. And the anger that we show towards people, but it, but this community was was heartbroken when that team left, and and I don't who how whoever you want to show your frustration to, I I wasn't a Charger fan myself, but man, I I imagine what that pain was like. Of all things, Sam, I was a Clipper fan. I don't know why, but that team broke my heart when they left, and I respect Charger fans that are heartbroken. To this day, I they get are. it, and I'm sorry for your loss. I really am. It is a loss. Well, although I'm a New York guy, I, I fell in love with the Chargers when I moved out here again in yeah. 1978. It was a good time. It was exciting. It oh, was. my goodness. And, and yeah. I would take my little Sony Trinitron yeah. out back and drink a little bit, not too much, a little yeah. bit, and i watch Air Coriel. Oh, my goodness. And right? I grew up with the Giants back in yeah. New York. Sure. I had never seen football more exciting in my life than watching the Chargers True. every yeah. Sunday afternoon. And they Great brought this football. community oh, together, yeah. didn't oh, yeah. they? Yeah. But uh, radio does it too. Sam Bass, one of the great ones. Uh, Dave's on Twitter at Dave Palais. I'm on there at Jeff Dotseth. 
Send Sammy a message. We'll, Dave and I will remind him. Sammy, check your Twitter. Sam Obass. That's Sam Obass. Sam, it's wonderful Hashtag to see you. Hashtag dumbass. <laughs> no. that. Hashtag. Don't get my attention. Hashtag, I've got a great idea. <laughs> Why don't we get Rose? I love the idea that they they put that off on you to apologize. They all, all right. knew the role they played in it. And I apologized. <laughs> well, you did it in. My favorite is when he said, my pleasure to introduce <laughs> yes. Jesus. Ah, uh, Sam, you're the greatest. And Gordon has Lightfoot been, has nothing on you, my no, friend. No, no. I'm, I'm, How I'm, great I'm, would it have been if you walked out there and never introduced him? You just started. <laughs> just started singing? That would have been cool, playing the guitar. I can't play that. I play a pretty mean harmonica. Do you? Oh, yeah. What's your number one song you can play on the... Well, the very first song I learned how to play on the harmonica was Love Me Do by the Beatles. Oh, wow. That, that, uh, what a closer. That song. You knew what you were doing. I knew what I was doing. You're nobody's fool. When I was in the Merchant Marine, I would have like an hour and a half up on the bow. Yeah. It, you know, late at night. Yeah. I'd rip out my harp and start, you know, playing some stuff. See? Son of a gun. No, He's a play the harmonica just good enough to get laid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, so, I, I, to, to this day, I can play the harmonica better than Bob Dylan. What a mess well, that was. Absolutely. But oh, don't man. ever say that. People get so sensitive about that. Oh, I, no, an incredible writer. I guess we give him Great credit writer. for Great But writer. Uh, singing. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> can't, can't go there, man. Can't <laughs> carry a note in a bucket. Isn't that what they say, Sammy? I guess so. <laughs> you got it. Look at Sam know. just hung me out. I'm, we got I'm, it. I'm, I'm still sobering up here. You know, uh, Sam, stay healthy. <laughs> continue try. to fight the good fight. You are amongst friends in this entire audience. And thank you for everything you did professionally, but more importantly, at least for me and Dave. Uh, I said it earlier. I, I was Dave knew it. For two weeks walking into that building, knowing what we were doing, the FUs of the day and all those crazy <laughs> things, I was so terrified that a guy that I had never met, that I had admired so much, was going to hate everything that we did, figured we were taking his beloved radio and driving it <laughs> into the ground. And I will never forget... One of the first days we were there, we did the FU of the day. You and I had just crossed paths for the first time, and you said, I can't believe you stole my bit. <laughs> and I laughed, and I was so thrilled. And you and our other mutual friend, Susan DeVincent, mm -hmm. made us feel like family from oh, the yeah. day we walked in. And, and I have said on the, this air, Sam, you lose jobs in this business and it happens. But the day we left that radio station, I was literally devastated because I felt like we were finally amongst family with everybody there and it was sad. And such a major component of that was you, your friendship, your leadership, everything you've meant to us on the air, off the air. Thank you for everything. Absolutely. And here we are together again. There Where we, we belong, my friend. And, I'll, and I'll, end, I'll, I'll wrap it on this. I don't know if you guys remember what I said when I first came into your studio yeah. to talk about the Roseanne. Everybody on the third floor was wondering, is Sam really going to say it or not? And the first words out of my mouth were, hey, bitches. Yeah, <laughs> you did. I did, man. I said I'd do yeah. it. Nobody thought yeah. I'd have, I had the balls to do it. That's hey, bitches. <laughs> no better way to wrap it up. That is so un-Sam. That is so funny. We love you, Sam. Love, love you, you Sam. Too. We'll see you soon, my friend. Come on. Group hug. Group hug. <laughs> the great <laughs> Sam Bass. <laughs> That look that let me down easy smile. Act like I couldn't see you coming for a hundred miles. 
Don't try to find a perfect words Can't take the pain out of the hurt Hit me hard, baby, I can take it It's your move, go on and make it Make it burn Thank you, God, right here, right now. Make it burn. 